0: You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. The city of Weatherford in Texas. James Craig Kaler, who went by Craig his wife Karen, their two daughters, 18-year-old Emily and 16-year-old Lauren, and a son, 10-year-old Sean. Karen and Craig had been together for many years. Craig was in his last year of his engineering degree at Kansas State University when he met Karen, who was in her first year. They were both ambitious and bright students and shared a lot in common. Friends said that they were the couple everyone was always trying to live up to and everyone knew they would be successful when they graduated. They soon married and had their first daughter Emily, and in 1999, an opportunity came along. Craig was offered the job of Utility Director of Weatherford, Texas. It was not only a very well-paying job, but a well-respected one too. They settled into a nice home and had two more children, Lauren and Sean. Neighbours said they were a key part of the community, always involved with everything and keen to welcome new people to the area with Karen often baking cakes and making food for everyone. Emily attended the St. Louis College of Pharmacy and Lauren was an honour student at a Columbia high school. The teens were also in a band where they both played and sang, often showcasing their talents around town. Neighbours said that as cliche as it sounded, they really were the all-American family and a lot of people in the area really admired them. but all was not as it seemed. One day, Karen's sister Lynn got a call. Karen wanted to confide in her about the true state of their marriage. She told Lynn that over the years, Craig had changed. He had started giving her curfews and an allowance, which he supervised and scrutinised, demanding to see receipts for all of her purchases, even everyday things like food. He would demand sex every night at 8pm exactly, and everything she did in the house had a timer on it. She said she did everything he asked to keep the peace, but things were getting worse and she felt trapped and scared. Karen told her sister she wanted to look for an outlet, something that was just hers that he couldn't control. She decided to join a local gym around the children's school hours and Craig being at work. Friends said that she was soon there so much and keen to learn, she was eventually hired as a fitness instructor. A completely different career path, but something she was excited to do. To her surprise, when Craig found out she had been going, he approved, telling her as long as she was home on time to look after the children, there would be no issues. One day at the gym, Karen bumped into Sonny Reese, another personal trainer. From the get-go, the pair were inseparable. They had a lot in common and spent all their shifts together. Before long, a romantic relationship developed and the couple began an affair. Lynn said that she felt like her sister was so mentally beaten down at that point when she found someone that seemed to really care about her and didn't want to control her. The relationship just fell together naturally. Karen knew she had to come clean and tell Craig everything. To her total shock, Craig did not seem to have an issue with it. Far from it, in fact. He encouraged it and started messaging Sunny, sending her flowers and asking her for a threesome. People say he saw it as an opportunity to spice up their marriage and sex life. He told Karen he didn't have any problem with it, as long as he was included and she didn't leave him. But Karen and Sonny wanted no part of the throuple he was suggesting. They wanted it to just be them. Craig was embarrassed, and now he knew there was no chance of bringing Sonny into the marriage. He wanted her out completely, and the affair to stop. But Karen and Sonny continued to see each other and it seemed that Karen was now well and truly out of the marriage. After a few months, Craig decided the best way to put a stop to it was to move the family out of town. He started looking for a career change elsewhere that would allow this to happen. He got another job in Columbia, Missouri, one that saw him become the highest paid employee in the city. And in June 2008, the family all moved out there. Craig hoped that things would return to normal, and as Karen and Sonny were now almost 700 miles apart, he felt confident the affair would come to an end. But it didn't. Karen and Sonny's relationship continued long distance. They would email and call and text each other, and sneak visits halfway where they could. Safe to say Karen and Craig's marriage was now in a very bad and toxic place. For New Year's Eve, the Kaylers attended a party back in Weatherford. Many neighbours were in attendance, including Sonny. At various points during the party, some guests saw Sonny and Karen together, and it was glaringly obvious that something was going on. It had gone from being a secret between Craig, Karen and Sonny, to a very public and open thing. Craig was mortified, and a huge fight broke out between him and Karen one that carried on as soon as they left. Karen said Craig pushed her so hard she smashed her head on the street. Friends said it was awful, the atmosphere had soured and everyone was talking about Craig and Karen. A matter of days later, Karen told Craig she was filing for a divorce, started the legal proceedings and moved into the spare room. Craig spent hours calling Karen's family and friends, one day asking them to convince her not to go ahead with the divorce, and the next telling them she was leaving him for another woman and wanted to steal all his money and take the children. Sonny started contacting Craig directly, telling him to leave Karen alone and that she was never happy with him anyway. As March 2009 rolled around, things escalated even more and after another fight became physical, Craig was arrested. He told police that he had hugged Karen tightly and that she had resisted. Karen said he had violently grabbed her, giving her bruises. She gave a statement, which read, "'Over time, it has become apparent that Craig is controlling. "'I have learned along the way that he is capable of using force. "'The issues vary, but I figured out how to keep things from becoming ugly. "'When money was a problem, I wouldn't tell him what things— "'groceries, clothing, etc.—cost. "'When it was about sex, I decided it was easier to give him "'what he wanted every night than to refuse. "'On occasions I would refuse— He has been known to be forceful and mean. I'm afraid it will escalate so far that someone is going to be seriously hurt. She pressed charges, and she and the children moved out of the house completely. People said this was when Craig became even more reclusive and erratic. He no longer wanted anything to do with Lauren and Emily, and only wanted to see his son Sean, saying he felt his daughters had failed him by taking their mother's side. This was made even worse when Lauren and Emily said they accepted Sonny and were happy to see their mother happy. Craig was enraged. He referred to his daughters as rotting corpses. Friends said that he started stalking Karen and spying on her, getting into the house to install cameras and hacking into her emails. Police were then called to the house again when Karen found out that Craig had slashed her car tyres and was ripping out cables from outside the house. Craig soon started slipping at work, choosing to show his colleagues' family albums over and over and leaving work unannounced to see what Karen was doing. Given everything that was going on, Craig's manager Bill quietly asked him to resign in September of 2009. This had affected his focus on the department in a way that is not likely to change in the near future, his boss said. Craig was paid two months' salary and one month of severance. And, with any other job prospects looking unlikely, Craig moved back in with his parents. As they were now legally separated, he still owed Karen over $3,000 a month in child support. Flash forward to Thanksgiving 2009. And Karen, Emily, Lauren and Sonny spent the holidays at Lynn's house. Ten-year-old Sean, however, spent it with Craig but Karen wanted all her children and Sonny to visit her grandmother Dorothy during the holiday period too. So the next day she went over to pick Sean up and make the trip over. 89-year-old Dorothy lived in a quiet little farmhouse in a city of less than 1,000 people, Burlingame, Kansas. Despite Karen and Craig's many arguments and fights about the affair, a contentious pending divorce, questions about where the children would live and issues with finances, Karen said she was hopeful that a resolution would soon be found. Craig was just days away from going to court in regards to the incident several months earlier, and a hearing had been scheduled for January to start going through the divorce. As soon as the holiday period was over, everybody was optimistic that things might start to move forward more amicably. Saturday, November 29th, 2009. Deputy Sheriff Nathan Perling was finishing up some paperwork in his office when a call came in about a suspicious vehicle in Burlingame. It was just after 6pm and the neighbour reported that a small truck was speeding around near their house. They had watched as the man pulled up, exited the vehicle and started walking down the road. The couple then saw him come back, carrying a large object that they could not identify. Thinking he was stealing, they grabbed a flashlight and headed outside to confront him. He placed the object in the back seat, got back inside, and drove off just as they approached him. Deputy Perling set off to see what was going on, but just a couple of minutes later, another call came in over the radio. It was coming from the same area, but this time, it was far more alarming. no sooner had they received this harrowing call when a third person called in they had opened their front door to find a 10 year old child crying and asking for help it was Sean Kaler he said he needed help at Dorothy White's house as there had been a shooting officers said they knew it was going to be a bad scene but nothing quite prepared them for what they would ultimately find. When they entered the home, the first person they found was 89-year-old Dorothy. She was bleeding profusely on the kitchen floor and had been shot several times. She was still alive, but barely. They then found Karen Kayler in the dining area. She had been shot twice, and she was already dead. 18-year-old Emily was found behind the couch in the lounge and had also been shot twice with the second shot likely paralysing her instantly. She too was deceased, and police determined she was likely trying to hide as the gunman was inside. Deputy Sheriff Perling then heard a faint voice calling for help from the upstairs. It was Lauren. I don't want to die! Who did this to you? Just like Dorothy, she was alive but only just. As Dorothy and Lauren were taken away, Lauren turned to an officer and said, Craig, he said, who's that? My dad, she said. Dorothy identified Craig as the shooter as well. Tragically, Lauren succumbed to her injuries first and was pronounced dead shortly after getting to the hospital. Dorothy was still fighting for her life, but sadly, it wasn't looking hopeful. There was one more person left who had been there, Sean, and little did the authorities realise, he had witnessed a lot. Sean said he had been cleaning some old coins that he and Karen had found. As the two of them were stood at the sink, Craig entered the house via the back door, holding a rifle, and shot at Karen. Sean said he ducked down and just ran as fast as he could to get out the back door. He then ran around to the front door, hoping to get back in and get to a phone. He carefully opened the door, hearing more shots ring out as he did so. He saw Craig walking around, and he closed the door and ran for help instead. Police had already put out an alert to try and locate Craig... A resident then spotted someone abandoning their vehicle in the middle of nowhere and running down a deserted road. She called in with the tip. They found the vehicle and it matched the description of the one the neighbours had seen earlier that night and felt confident it was Craig's. A search of the vehicle found more ammunition and some unopened anxiety medications. A backpack was also found with some soap, towels, toilet paper, cotton balls and some canned food. But Craig was nowhere to be found.
1: The biggest thing for me and that I still have no answer for is is how uh, a father can do that to his children. Uh, he, He literally had to chase one of his daughters through the house. Sheriff's Deputy Nathan Perling was first to arrive at one of the most horrific crimes Osage County has ever seen. Perling cautiously made his way inside to find Dorothy White covered in blood and clinging to life. He then spotted Karen Kaler on the floor in the dining room and went over to check her for a pulse. Uh,
0: at the same time, uh, I could hear somebody uh, crying for help.
1: That plea was from 16-year-old Lauren Kaler, who had been shot in an upstairs bedroom. Perling would stay by Lauren's side until paramedics arrived. In her last words, the mortally wounded teen told Perling that it was her father that opened fire any area, nobody would expect your neighbours something like that to happen. It's just a sad situation.
0: The sheriff had a gun on him and he had his hands in the air. After eight hours of searching, Craig Kaler was finally located. It was now about 7am and he was wandering on the side of the road looking confused, lost and dishevelled. He knew it was coming and turned to the officers and said I'm the guy you're looking for. He told them that he was armed with a revolver as well as some pocket knives. They also found hundreds of dollars in cash, some gloves, a flashlight, and a hunting bag. He was arrested without incident and taken to the station. Craig was fairly open and told the detectives a lot.
1: This doesn't look really very good, as you, I'm sure can well understand. And... Uh,
0: I messed, up. I messed
1: up. Obviously it's the sign connection. I said, you know, I'm just so happy I you know, if there's something you wanted to try, just, just don't want to lose you in the process, just be careful.
0: Right. I was trying to be a trying to be nice about So what happened? I mean, it just it just became just a
1: relationship that took over. I was having a hard time with the whole
0: situation. He also told him about the New Year's Eve party and how the pair would sneak visits out of town. He said he was particularly upset when he realised that his daughters not only approved, but were travelling with Karen to meet Sonny as well. We were sitting together and rubbing each other's leg, and I mean, just, just making a spectacle. I just got out of control. Things you around and bitches. just... Kids told me that they stayed in a hotel room. And Sonny was there, obviously. Were you angry at them? I oh, went an angry, frustrated sometimes. Craig Kaler was charged with first-degree murder and aggravated burglary. His bail was set at $10 million. Just after 4pm on December 1st, Dorothy White sadly passed away too. In December 2010, he had his preliminary trial, where he entered a plea of insanity, the only defence against capital murder. His lawyers claimed that he had had a mental breakdown due to Karen's affair. They said this, coupled with the loss of his job and having to move in with his parents, had only added fuel to the fire. They said that the unopened medication in his car, ongoing erratic behaviour, and the fact he did not attempt to cover up what he had done was evidence that he was not of a sound state of mind, Thus, his plea of insanity was fair. In 1995, the state of Kansas passed a law which revoked the traditional insanity defence. The new law stated that defendants could no longer argue that, because of mental health issues, they were incapable of deciding right from wrong. Instead, defendants suffering from mental health issues were still legally responsible for a crime unless these mental health issues prevented them from forming an intent to commit or act with premeditation. His defence team argued that his mental health issues were so severe that it proved he had not premeditated anything. It was a total snap in that moment. At the time of the murders, his lawyer said that he was suffering from depression, hallucinations and had obsessive-compulsive, narcissistic, and histrionic personality disorders. But the prosecution argued that it was definitely premeditated, and his behaviour over the last year especially showed that this was all just building up to what he ultimately wanted to do, which was kill his wife and likely anyone else that stood in the way of that. Their expert psychiatrist stated that while Craig had clinical depression, he was still capable of planning the murders, They also pointed to the fact that Craig had not killed their son, Sean, even though he was stood right there, showing this was a conscious decision. This was not someone that was out of control and had snapped in the moment. And after this, they brought in their star witness, Sean Kaler, who was now 12 years old. And one can only imagine how difficult this must have been for him. He appeared via a video link to bravely tell everybody what had happened. People in the court said that Sean was clear, concise and unwavering, a child far more mature than his years. My dad came through the door and shot my mum. i just heard her collapse on the floor from the shot. i just caught a glimpse. I think she was holding her leg, Sean recalled. Some people in the courtroom said that the pictures of the crime scene were so bad, they physically had to look away, with some even crying. The prosecution spoke about the many allegations of abuse and controlling behaviours, and said this again proved his intention to hurt was always there. And when he finally lost complete control when they all moved out, is when things escalated even more. Sonny Reese also testified. She described Karen and Craig's relationship as very abusive, saying she wanted to protect Karen from him. She also said that Craig was more than happy for her and Karen to start a relationship and showed no signs of being bothered by it... until he had to let Karen go. But she acknowledged that she had no physical evidence to prove this. It was all what she remembered and what she had heard from Karen. On August 25th, 2011... after just two hours... the jury had reached a unanimous verdict. Craig Kayla was found guilty of capital murder... and his pleas of insanity were not believed. This meant he would face the death penalty or life without parole. There were many victim impact statements given. Sean gave a small statement too, and said, I do not want my dad to receive the death penalty, because it would be hard on my grandparents. I do not want my whole family gone. After this, another week would pass while everyone waited to hear the results of the sentencing.
1: Taylor showed no emotion today as he heard his fate. The execution sentence comes as retribution for the shooting deaths of four family members. Court at this time sentences the defendant uh, for the crime of capital murder to death. James Craig Taylor opted not to speak on his own behalf and even asked if he could leave the room to avoid hearing the victim impact statements. Chief Judge Philip Fromm ordered him to stay.
0: I loved Grandma White. Karen, Emily, and Lauren, very much. I will miss them until the end of my days.
1: Lynn Denton spoke of her grandmother, her two nieces, and her sister. I still replay that frightening night over and over in my mind, just like watching an old movie reel. When I get to the ending, I try so hard to rewrite it, but there is no such option. That statement, read by a representative for the attorney general's office, came from Karen's mom, who is also Dorothy's daughter, of course, and Lauren and Emily's grandmother, a woman who saw three generations of her family wiped out in just one day. Kaler's attorneys say they will file a motion to withdraw that death sentence, and Kaler will be appointed an attorney for his automatic appeal to the Kansas Supreme Court. Lad Egan, KRCG News, now back to you.
0: Upon hearing he was sentenced to death, those in the courtroom, said Craig Kaler, had no reaction, no remorse, no sadness, and no regret. The prosecutor said he only ever seemed to look proud of himself, often smirking and muttering sarcastic comments. As he exited the courtroom to begin his time, he shouted to his mother and father, take care of Sean so he's not raised by a bunch of freaks. While on death row, Craig started writing letters to various people, including the lead prosecutor. He still showed no remorse, instead saying he felt a sense of relief for what had happened, as he was able to free Sean. His team appealed to the Kansas Supreme Court, citing numerous complaints, including the belief that there had been misconduct on the jury. They also stated that his mental health and insanity plea had not been taken into consideration. One judge said, Kansas, unlike many states, will not wholly exonerate a defendant on the ground that his illness prevented him from recognising his criminal act as morally wrong. Another judge added that, contrary to Kayla's view, Kansas takes account of mental health at both trial and sentencing. It has just not adopted the particular insanity defence Kayla would like. His appeal was denied. With this ruling, Craig Kaler had now exhausted his direct appeals. But further appeals were still possible. And in January 2023, another appeal was lodged, which might be his last chance. Lynn and Sonny started organised runs in Weatherford in honour of Karen to raise money for victims of domestic violence. And the community often comes together to remember the family and all the lives that were lost that night. According to sources, Sean went into the care of the state for a while before going to live with his grandmother and grandfather. He graduated high school and now works in Kansas. It was a case that left a community shocked and hurting. Three generations snatched away in a matter of minutes. And for Sean, who not only lost his mother, sisters and great-grandmother in the most awful way, but witnessed it all as well, And then essentially lost his father too, it is incomprehensibly heartbreaking. How he has come through it all despite everything is remarkable and a testament to his strength and perseverance against so many odds. We are so grateful to all of our viewers and all of our patrons and we'd love you to consider joining our little community over on Patreon. It supports us as a channel, and we couldn't be more appreciative of anyone that does so. It also gives you behind-the-scenes, extra episodes, and early ad-free access.